Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up on this show, huge news this week for the WSL with a new TV deal that sees the BBC and Sky share the rights to broadcast the league from next season. We'll discuss the impact of this with the FA's Kelly Simmons and get the inside track on the deal with one of the negotiators. Meanwhile, on the pitch, it's advantage Arsenal in the race for Europe as the Gunners fire two past Manchester United and Bristol City move off the bottom of the WSL again, this time thanks to a point at Spurs. Welcome along to the show. I'm Lindsay Hooper. And I'm Kate Borsay. And I'm delighted to say we're joined on this episode by broadcaster and presenter Anne-Marie Batson. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hello, hello. Lovely to be speaking to you ladies again. It's been a long time. <laughs> it has. We were talking about the fact that the last time that we saw you, you had birthday cake and you've had another birthday since then. Yes, yes. And I am one year older, one year wiser, for sure. There's been a lot happening over the last 365 days. <laughs> <laughs> well, it marks one year since the first official lockdown uh, today, doesn't it? Um, and I'm trying to remember what we were all up to. Of course, women's football was curtailed, wasn't it, as a result of that first lockdown. Um, I think it was just a bit of a reality bite, wasn't it? I think we were sort of in denial in the weeks up, up to then. Oh, yeah. The, the first bit, I was putting my feet up. I was like, I'll have a, a couple of weeks off. That's fine. <laughs> so I think I was in relaxed mode at this point, thinking I don't mind staying at home for a little bit. But of course, that then turned very quickly into what was a very long term situation. Yeah, this is an interesting point, actually, because it has been obviously a stop and start year for football. There have been various announcements within the women's game and Marie that have continued that sort of stop start nature to it. Um, I know you work across several other sports, tennis particularly. How do you think football's fared, women's football's fared? That's a really great question, because I think there's so many variables to that, I believe. I think there's been a lot of twists and turns, I think the one word that pops into my mind when it comes to women's football is about the uncertainty. You know, those that play in the lower leagues between tiers three to six, I think it's been a really emotional roller coaster for them. You've seen people step up when they've had to, those who've had to go out and volunteer, which I think has been great. You've seen some teams, shall we say, in the WSL make slightly questionable decisions when it comes to going on holiday and things like that at a certain true, period true. of time yeah. and I think for me that point when that happened if I can still regard it as Dubai gate I think it really shone a light on to women's football about how fans were really upset about it and I think mm. it took a lot of people by surprise the strength of feeling about that so I think there's been a lot of twists and turns as I said there's been a lot of uncertainty financially physically as well how have they coped with it? I don't know, Kate. I don't know if I can say if they've coped with it well because we're still in the middle of a, a, of another lockdown as it stands. I think it took a bit of time for things to get back into a into a cycle, but it's good that, that the football has come back. But the long-term impact, I think that's a question that's yet to be answered. 
It's important as well to to stress that it wasn't just Arsenal that broke the COVID rules. Of course, that then later happened with Birmingham and Leicester City in the championship, which was maybe doubly disappointing when there'd, there'd been that warning shot, hadn't there, from what had happened at Arsenal? Yeah, and, and, and actually there was nothing illegal going on. It was just um, a moral question of whether it was right for players to go abroad. And of course, there were Manchester City players involved in that as well. So it was kind of more more a kind of a moral tarnish than, than whereas not know, anything so for, for Birmingham and Leicester City players that, that yeah, joined yeah. forces for a party so yeah there, there have been those slight taints but what's been great about this week I think is everybody has now grouped together again we've had some fantastic news released about the broadcast deal for the next three years for the WSL which we'll move on to but it's great that you can look forward um, and we can try and get out of this period with the women's game still intact and maybe even thriving further. Yes, absolutely. Should we start off with that then? Let's get off the field in the first bit of our conversation. Massive news about where we can watch the WSL from next season. Yes, well, let's get into this. WSL games will be shown live across the BBC and Sky in a multi-million pound deal from the start of next season. The BBC will show games on network free-to-air TV for the first time. They'll broadcast 22 live matches with a minimum of 18 shown on BBC One or BBC Two. Sky Sports will provide coverage of up to 44 matches screened across the main event, Premier League and Sky Sports football channels. It's been described as a landmark three-year broadcast deal. We know it's worth around £7 million a year. And Anne-Marie, for those people worried that women's football was simmering out, fear not. This is women's football on the agenda, on the calendar, in such a big, historic way. I cannot undersell it enough. It's fantastic. That's a great sell, by the way. That's a really great sell. <laughs> it's a massive, it's, you know, you can think of all the, the words that you like, you know, monumental, watershed, uh, milestone for the women's game. All those words really describe it. It's a massive boost for the teams in the, in the WSL and the championship. The fact that they're getting a, a financial cut from it, which I think is really, really key. And it's not about, as I saw on social media, which you kind of expected, the howls of derision about replacing men's football. It's not doing anything like that in the absolute slightest. It's actually giving choice. It's giving choice about whether you want to watch a women's football game or a men's football game. It doesn't really matter anymore. It's such a good investment, I think, opportunity for more coaches, better facilities. And also, I think, you know, one of the big things over the season has been the postponement of matches due to the quality of the pitches and the stadiums at times. I think the money that will drip through from that will help and reduce the level of uh, postponements that have happened over the way. So I think this is the game moving forward and things have to evolve. And having two big broadcasters actually sit down at a table and work out a deal is, uh, is quite historic. I think what's really important to take away is that it will be given all the full bells and whistles treatment. Uh, In the Sky Sports statement, they said it will get the full Sky Sports treatment with lengthy build-ups and reaction to all live matches. I think one of the areas that has been missing up until now is not enough analysis, uh, certainly not enough build-up to games and not enough signposting on when those games are taking place. I think the marketing around this could be key. And we know Sky are experts, right, Anne-Marie, and it's it's interesting that they've chosen to jump on into this deal and BT Sport haven't. It's going to elevate the game to a high level for sure. I mean, the, as you rightly point out, Lindsay, that those production levels, you know what Sky can do when it comes to Premier League and Championship football. And I'm really delighted that they're going to follow suit for 
women's football as well, particularly, you know, they have been committed, Sky, haven't they, for the last maybe year, maybe longer, about having a voice when it comes to women's sport. You've seen that, what they've done with the golf, uh, boxing and netball as well. Netball has just really, really taken off on Sky. It looks so much better from the, from a production values point of view. So I think the women's game deserves this. It deserves it. It shouldn't have to fight for it. And it has had to over the last few years or so. And now it's getting its its desserts and rightly so. So for me, Sky have the money. They have the investment. And I think it will, you know, having this on, on the big stage can only push the game forward. The reason why this is such a huge deal, of course, is that broadcasters will be paying for women's football now. It is a proper TV rights deal. We've not seen this before in the game. And in terms of the money, you've got up to 66 matches uh, being purchased for for live broadcast. Uh, That means a rights fee, it's estimated, of around £100,000 per game on average. And this is significant too. It's not just about which teams have their their games broadcast live on TV. It, It is understood at this stage that it will be an equal share um, between the teams in the league. So if you're an Arsenal and your games are shown more, you're actually going to receive the same as a team who doesn't get to feature on live TV as often. And that's a really strong enforcement for you know building and for legacy throughout the whole league. The point I was going to add to that, ladies, is how important that it is on the BBC as well. We have to remember not everybody has satellite television in their homes and I think that's a really important point that it makes it accessible for everybody now whether you have satellite or terrestrial TV I love the fact that the BBC is still involved because it still gives an opportunity for those who don't have satellite TV in their homes to watch the game yeah, and not only are they involved, that they will get the highest viewing figures because of that. Um, and they've shown that, haven't they, with the big tournaments, the, the last World Cup, the sorts of figures they were getting. They've shown there's an appetite and I think they will continue to post really good figures. Uh, hopefully it'll go one way. Well, let's get some more details on this deal from the FA's director of the women's professional game, Kelly Simmons. It's great to finally announce it. Obviously, we've been working on it since, well, the process started last autumn. Looking at the slots that we've got, the BBC One, BBC Two coverage, the Sky coverage and the investment they'll be put behind that, then I don't think it's unrealistic to say that, we, you know, we could possibly next season go to be the most watched sport in the UK after the Premier League uh, and certainly the most watched women's sport in the world, which is, you know, it's absolutely fabulous. We've often had WSL players tell us that they'd be a fan of expanding the WSL and putting more teams in it. Uh, Has there been any discussion about that? Also, in terms of the championship teams, um, any plans to encourage or to perhaps make it mandatory that with this extra funding, those teams work quickly or more quickly towards being fully professional? I think certainly, you know, there are some... I wouldn't call them early discussions because that would make it sound like there's something in the pipeline. Certainly as part of the strategic plan, we've talked about long term, what is the right number probably for the Women's Super League and the Women's Championship, and it's probably not 12. What we've got to do is, working with the clubs and the board, is decide the right time to expand whereby we don't lose quality and we don't spread the money that we have got so thinly that clubs are impacted who are in there now. So I think it's sort of one for the future, definitely one that, that, that is being looked at and discussed in terms of the championship, I think, you know, the cost of professional football is significant. So we're not saying in this TV deal, we've got all the funding to fix everything in women's football and certainly not to say that this sort of revenue can deliver professional football. It's it's a contribution to help put 
workforce in place, put infrastructure in place, support those clubs to continue to build um, and to grow revenues in its various streams. You know, over subsequent right cycles, obviously, you know, our job now is to make sure we deliver on these three years and continue to grow value so that more money comes back to the clubs in future deals and ultimately that the women's professional game becomes sustainable. But but we're not yet there yet. We're not talking about the levels of money that, that can fund you know, two tiers of professional football. So I think what, we, what we've been doing with the clubs is supporting them to develop in the championship. This is a great boost for them. And yeah, helping them really make sure they've got the infrastructure in, in place to grow. What you have got with this deal, Kelly, is, is this platform now um, to hopefully attract a new audience as well as the existing audience that we've seen come in numbers for, for World Cups in the past too. I wondered about officiating because officiating in the league has come up a lot certainly in our discussions when we've done analysis of games um part-time officials as it stands and from what I'm aware you've said that you've got no plans to introduce full-time referees for at least three years is there a sense of more urgency now to that we've ring-fenced uh, investment significant investment for refereeing for the women's super league and the women's championship uh, over the next three years and we just working with with partners currently to see what is the best approach to accelerate the development of that pool that we support the development of female referees that we support the development of referees in women's football can't say too much more than that at the moment but we will be making an announcement probably in mid-april where we'll outline what that investment means in terms of refereeing but it is a big uplift on where we currently are we do like to try kelly um <laughs> Let's talk about quality of pitches again. Let's not be shy about this. It's come under a lot of debate again this season. It's great to have a TV rights deal, but the games have to be on in order for that deal to be made the most of. When it comes to investment, whether that's helping clubs perhaps choose a different place to play or improve facilities like undersoil heating at their existing uh, stadiums, How much support will the FA give? Um, Are there any conditions to this at all that will put perhaps more emphasis on uh, WSL clubs, making sure that there is a lot of focus on, you know, lack of lack of postponements, making sure the games are played? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a really key point for us. I mean, in terms of the sort of conditions bit, you know, the clubs have to meet ground regulations, which, you know, we, I suppose, are strengthening each year as, as investment comes into the game um, and we've made sure that we've ring fence funds to make sure that those grounds are broadcast ready in terms of pitch quality working with the football foundation we've got an investment plan we're developing currently with them and the clubs to and that's particularly focused on pitch improvements the idea would be to put better quality pitches down so that they um, can stand up to the weather better the backup to that is that we've also ring fenced the money is for pitch covers like we have in the Men's FA Cup, where we know from the weather forecast that we get in that uh, we've got a potential problem, we can get that pitch covered to give ourselves the best chance to make sure that those Sky and BBC games get away. Finally, Kelly, might there be uh, more good news on the horizon? I mean, I I read about this deal, WSL, and then the England Lionesses were mentioned in parts, but we've not heard about that yet. You know, I've got a great get-out-of-jail card on this one because I don't cover England. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, there might there might be uh, there might be something coming down the line, but uh, but you'll have to wait and see. A bit like refereeing, really. I suppose what I was getting at is that this isn't the end. No, absolutely not. I mean, the women's game's in a fantastic growth period, even in COVID. One of the things about this deal yesterday 
is that it gives us you know, higher spec games, it gives us a regular appointment to view, it gives us more games, which we can then ultimately go out and, and sell across the world and in territories that we're not in currently. So, you know, we've still got ambitious plans around growing the game, growing our reach and our audiences globally. You know, we want to be at the global forefront of, of women's professional sport. We want to be the best women's sports league in the world. We, we think that we can deliver huge audiences um, right up there with some of the men's sports in this country. And, you know, we won't stop until we get there. That was the FA's director of the women's professional game, Kelly Simmons. Great news for the WSL and we're delighted that she could join us. But what was it like brokering one of the biggest deals in women's football? Bit of an offside rule exclusive here for you folks. We caught up with David Cogan, long-standing media rights advisor to the Premier League, EFL, Premier Rugby and the NFL, among others, and now a director of the Women's Sport Group. And since early 2020, he's been an advisor and negotiator for the WSL and FA in the sale of these WSL rights, as well as the England Women Media Rights too. Welcome to the show, David Cogan. From my point of view... It was an incredibly interesting deal to do because the thing that is happening in women's sport in general, which I don't think really the media has caught up with yet, is there is a fundamental shift taking place. And we've seen this now in the deals we've done, but I think you're about to see it as well in cricket and with UEFA, with the Champions League, where women's sport was being sold as an underbid to men's sport. It was bundled with men's sport for the last 10 years and... When we were asked by the FA to have a look at this, the first thing I realised was actually, if you're selling the Women's FA Cup alongside the Men's FA Cup to the BBC, Women's FA Cup wasn't being given any value. So actually, if you unbundled the rights, if you actually segregated out women's sport from men's sport and sold it as a standalone proposition, the chances were that you would get real money for it. But more than that, When you looked at what happened in the uh, World Cup in 2019 with the incredible audiences the BBC was getting for the Women's World Cup, we knew there was an audience out there that wasn't being satisfied. So the trick here and the reason this was such an exciting set of deals to do was could we get much more exposure for the women's game? Could we do it on a standalone basis away from the men's game? And could we get real money for it? And after a year, I think we we have demonstrated all of those things was possible were possible. And for somebody who does what I do for a living, it's breaking new ground, which is incredibly exciting. David, I've known you for a while, so I'm going to look for a bit of honesty from you here. Anything that you tried to push for that you didn't get in this deal, or any element of the deal that surprised you in any way? Uh, well, we would have always wanted more money, but then, as you know, Kate, my job is always to ask for more money. So there's never, <laughs> there's never, there's never a good number in my view. Um, actually, uh, I don't mind telling you this: in the original invitation to tender that I wrote, we looked for 66 live games, uh, 44 on pay, 22 on free to air, BBC, ITV, whatever. We ended up with 57. So you know, we got pretty close, but we didn't quite get there. And the problem there isn't so much the women's game, but the congestion of broadcasting of football over the weekend. If you look at Sky, the very fact we've got WSL matches within Sky's coverage of the Premier League elevates the WSL to, you know, the highest possible level of broadcast output by Sky. And that's very exciting. But we could have done with maybe a few more games, but we didn't get there. Um, I think beyond that, the real question is... And what we were looking for was how much Sky and the BBC would be marketing the whole overall 
view of the women's game and everything else. And there we've got very, very good commitments. I mean, there's going to be a massive marketing push. I think you saw yesterday with these announcements, both the BBC and Sky were telling the story of what they're going to do. So there, I think we did very well. I think this is probably as good as we could have got uh, this time round. But actually, it's only the start. I'm glad you brought up schedules because I feel that that's been one area that's really let the game down over recent seasons. If you're a dedicated fan of whichever team in the WSL, it's often difficult to know when they are playing. For a period of time, certainly when I was hosting one of the shows, there there was a two o'clock Sunday slot where a lot of women's football was played. What I'm wondering is, is there extra value going forward to the schedule being adapted? You talk about that cluster and congestion. How do you get around that? Because I I imagine there is a lot more potential should you be able to nail down a specific time for for viewing. That's an incredibly smart and astute question about the deals we were doing. So the first trick in doing a deal like this is to have regular broadcast schedules where everybody knows that they can tune in at the same time every week to see a great match. We did two things about that, I think, that are important. The first is there are going to be throughout the season what we've called marquee weekends. And those marquee weekends, of which there are going to be a large number, will be very important head-to-head matches at the top and at the bottom of the league, promotion, winning the Super League, as well as potentially relegation games, and they will be in main stadia. So what you will see, not only in a regular slot, which will, and the first main regular slot will be Sunday lunchtime on both Sky and the BBC, week by week, is great games being put into those slots on a regular basis so you know you can always see them. And the second thing is to get with the broadcasters, and this took a long time to do, a means by which we had regular slots on both Sky and regular slots bouncing between BBC One and BBC Two. And they will, as I said, be primarily Sunday lunchtime, and we're evolving where the two or three other slots through the weekend will be. And that, again, is a mixture of fitting in with, with Sky's current broadcast schedule in terms of football and with the BBC's in terms of other sports on a Sunday. The key thing for the audience is when we start broadcasting the new season, there will be a published um, set of games every week that everyone can depend on and the audiences can find them without having to think about it because that's how you build a long-term value and the great thing is both these broadcasters know that because that's how they run their normal broadcast schedules anyway. David we need to round up now really but I think we'd just like a gauge from you on where this takes women's football in this country and then one eye of course on the forthcoming Euros as well it's been a stop-start year across so much in football women's football's been delayed just like any other where can we take it? I think this is the start, not actually just for English football, but for women's football globally, of being a massive leap forward. If you look at exposure and broadcast channels, if you look at media money, this is actually a transformation in psychology. This actually is now the women's game being seen as what will become the equivalent of men's sport across the globe. And it's of incredible importance. And what we've seen to date is that works in the international game. It worked in the World Cup. It will work in the Euros. When the Lionesses are playing, it attracts a very wide audience. It's it's got real power to the sport. What we're now doing is applying that to the club game. And the clubs are absolutely committed to driving this forward. And I think you will see that over the next three years, but beyond the next three years, an absolute transformation in the status and power of the women's game. And, and, you know, more power to it. That's, that's absolutely as it should be. 
fascinating insight there from David, one of the brokers of that WSL deal. Sunday lunchtime, seemingly the new home for WSL, which I know will delight you, Lindsay, and your quest (laughs) for regular kickoff times. Um, All right, well, from matters off the pitch to on it now, and let's start with some of the action. First of all, from Friday night. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. Katie McKay, she lifts it in to a central area and it's a header up from Lotta Ruben Boy who grabs the badge and cheers. Massive goal for Arsenal. Arsenal boosted their hopes of Champions League qualification with a 2-0 win over Manchester United on Friday night. Jill Rod's deflected strike off Millie Turner gave the Gunners an early third-minute lead and they doubled their advantage through Lotta Wuben Moy's header after the break. Arsenal striker Beth Mead was sent off with half an hour to go after picking up a second yellow for a lunge on Lucy Staniforth, but United couldn't take advantage. Arsenal are now just three points behind third place Manchester United with a game in hand. Good turnaround for this if we're to talk Arsenal first of all with you, Anne-Marie Batson, famously a big Arsenal fan. It looks to be momentum-wise working for them at the moment. Have you seen any particular shifts in play or is this just about getting back to basics after the distraction of what happened over Christmas in Dubai? I think it's been getting back to basics really and seeing how Chelsea and Manchester City are starting to now pull away in the table. The one thing Arsenal doesn't want to do is be out of that conversation with those other two teams. I know you know we've got Manchester United part of that set up as well but it's always traditionally been Manchester City, Arsenal and Chelsea. So Arsenal will want to try and get as many wins as possible before the end of the season. And it has been back to basics for them. I know they've been hit with injuries and, and COVID and what have you. And I will give them a pat on the back to, to for them because they've managed to stay within the top half of the table because it could have gone the other way quite easily. So it was a brilliant game on Friday. I really, really enjoyed it very much. And they have been the team, they've shown it this season, the one to disrupt um, the teams towards the top. So they did it with Manchester City. I think that the last time that City actually lost was to Arsenal in the league. And they did it here with Manchester United because this has all but ended their chances of challenging for the top two now, hasn't it? You'd say that Chelsea and Manchester City uh, are firm favourites there and that this is a race directly between these two, Arsenal and Manchester United, for that third spot and European football. I think we can discount Everton given that they're 10 points behind in fifth place so it makes it all very exciting for this what feels like a shootout between these two doesn't it? I think that's a great way to describe it Lindsay it will be a shootout you've got the 
you've got the more experienced team against the team that's full of swagger and confidence and are not intimidated by anybody. I think it's a, it's fascinating between these two. But I think what will do it for the Gunners is the experience. This is a team that's won a lot of trophies. They've had to go through a lot of battles. Where I think with Manchester United, they're still not quite there yet in terms of their level of experience. So I would expect actually Arsenal to to take that third spot away from United. It was a great performance from Lotta Wuben Moy as well. Leah Williamson injured at the moment, so just wanted to pick her out. We've obviously discussed refereeing with Kelly Simmons already, but let's just focus in on what Manchester United boss Casey Stoney had to say about referee Amy Fern in this game. Um, she accused Fern of not dealing properly with overly aggressive tackles by Arsenal. The quote from her was, I thought the referee was atrocious at best. And that's not an excuse for my team losing, but we've got to improve the officiating in this league. It's not the first time she's been so outspoken, is it, Anne-Marie? No, it's not. And I think she's right. I think that game was slightly getting away from the referee. I don't like going in on referees. We've seen what happens when people get very angry about referees when it comes to social media. So I'm not keen to go in on this particular ref. But I will say that she at times appeared to struggle with it. The game from the first whistle, ladies, from the get-go, it was just pace, 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 pace. There was a lot of pressing. There was a lot of niggles. I particularly was keeping an eye on what was going on between Katie McCabe and Ella Toon. There was some pushing and a little bit of shoving going on between those two. And I would say, actually, there was a couple of fouls between those two that went amiss. Lauren James, I felt a little bit sorry for her. Mm. I know that actually they would have asked, of course, she's one of you know not United's best players. Of course, they're going to surround her and try and stop and do what she needs to do. But I did think there was a couple of instances where I thought, oh, maybe a yellow card there. So, yeah, I don't think the ref had a particularly great game, but it's the wider point about getting better officials through. Look, with this massive deal coming through now, it's about stepping everything up, not just about the television coverage, but about officiating, about pitch quality as well and facilities. So if WSL wants to go to that level, it needs to look at all areas of the game where it can improve. And one area for sure is officiating. Mm. Okay, then to the other end of the table and a match from Sunday. And it's the battle to beat the drop that's got as many unexpected twists and turns as an episode of Line of Duty. Yes, we all watch that one on Sunday night too. Well, no cheers in this one, Lindsay. Bristol City moved off the foot <laughs> of the goodness. table uh, with a one-all draw at Tottenham, thanks to Gemma Evans' second-half header. Siri Vaughan had given Spurs the perfect start, curling in a wonderful free kick after just three minutes. But City, who haven't won on their travels this season, responded well and hit the post before Gemma Evans' equaliser. That point lifts the Robins back above West Ham, who drew 2 all with Birmingham on Wednesday night. The Hammers denied a vital win by a 94th-minute equaliser from Ruby Mace. So it's very, very tight at the bottom. Just three points now separates West Ham and then all the way up to Birmingham in ninth place. So we've got four teams in the mix. Uh, huge result this one, Anne-Marie. A huge, huge result. It's all getting very interesting at the bottom of the table, isn't it? Every point is going to count and... Uh, I don't want to call it, ladies. I really don't want to call it who I think is going to go down into the championship because I still think there's some games to go. There's some games in hand as well for a, a couple of teams. So, yeah, it was a, 
Yeah, it's it's really tight down there, as you say. Fair play to Bristol City. I mean, Tottenham were the better side in the first half of this. As we've discussed, they got out the blocks quickly. They could have doubled the lead on 16 minutes uh, when uh, Robins goalkeeper Sophie Bagley parried Kit Graham's cross into a dangerous area. But Bristol City uh, were much better in the second half. And that is the marking of a team who is intent on staying up, that it was thrown at them in the first half. They regrouped, they had a game plan and they were much, much sharper in in the second half. So, look, I think this demonstrates again why I think Bristol City will be safe this season. Because it's locked down and I have no life, I've actually tried to work out who I think will go down by looking at the next lot of fixtures until the end of the season for West Ham, Bristol, Birmingham and Aston Villa. I've calculated where I think points will be dropped, where there might be a draw or where there might be a win for different sides. Okay. And, the overall... and you're quite good at these predictions, by the way, Hoops. You are really? quite good at them. I'm, yeah, I'm not... yeah, yeah. You've got a fairly good track record. So we need to be running off to the bookies to place our money on a who. <laughs> maybe, you only re- maybe you only remember the ones I get right, though. That's the thing. Probably. So looking at the games that they've got and where they might drop points and pick some up, I've got West Ham finishing bottom. Birmingham just above them by a single point with, with my little predictions. I might put this online, actually, so people can see. And then Bristol and um, Aston Villa um, equal. Um, I've got them finishing on around 15 points just above. But yeah, I think it, it will be between West Ham and Birmingham. I love the idea of you putting it up online, Lindsay, really nail, nailing your colours to the <laughs> vast. Just for someone yeah. to rub it in. Then. <laughs> um, should we just mention Villa Brighton very quickly? Because, of course, um, they are involved. Villa certainly um, involved in that conversation. So let's talk about this match very quickly. Um, Hope Powell's Brighton making it four wins in a row with a 2-0 victory at Aston Villa. Eileen Whelan bundled home the opener and a late Inessa Kagman penalty sealed the win that takes Brighton into the top half of the table. What a turnaround. Uh, Villa a tenth, just a point. Point off the bottom uh, they're at Chelsea next on Sunday so of course you looking at those run-ins um, yes uh, important point to mention there as we're having this conversation about the teams currently in the relegation mix at the moment should we talk about Birmingham um, they've had a run of bad luck actually I do I do really really feel for the team first that pitch gate of course being forced to play at St George's Park no one quite sure why but now an independent tribunal has decided to award Tottenham three points from their fixture in January when Birmingham had to call off the game with 24 hours notice due to what they called an unprecedented shortage of player availability. Birmingham's request to postpone the fixture had been denied by the FA at the time. Uh, The team, uh, Card Award, they've basically called this latest decision a great disappointment. Do you think Card Award and her players will brush that to one side? Could it it give them greater impetus to stay safe, (sighs) Anne-Marie? I don't know. I don't know. I just think, I believe Birmingham, they've just had so much to deal with over the last few months with COVID, this tribunal as well. Their players not getting getting the opportunity to be part of the Tokyo GB team. They've had all that to deal with. There's a lot that's been going on with that team. And I would completely understand it if their focus isn't there 100%. Of course, they'd want to go out and, and win games. They want to stay in the WSL, but they've just had so much on their plate. We'd be completely understandable if they're distracted or just, you know, feeling a little bit broken right now. So maybe they're feeling angry and they'll use that anger in the right way, channel it in the right way to get the results that they need to stay in the table. But I've never known a team since I've been covering women's football, perhaps you ladies can correct me, but have had to deal with such a lot over a short period of time. But if anyone is going to use this to 
bind together team spirit and move the side forward, Carla Ward is going to do it. It will be tough, but I think, you know, for me, as I've said, I think I think Birmingham are going to be OK. Shall we whistle through then uh, a couple of the other fixtures that took place midweek just to make sure that we've covered all of these? Let's start with Everton-Chelsea. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Chelsea remain top of the WSL thanks to a 3-0 win at Everton, recovering from missing a penalty in the opening minutes of that match. But just over 10 minutes later, Frank Kirby scored an 18th goal of the season and opened the Blues account. Penilla Harder rolled in the second after the break and Melanie Leopold added a late third to complete the win. Well, we'll talk about Manchester City in a moment, but Chelsea at Everton, potentially a tough one for the leaders, despite a wobble at the start. Um, and They dealt with this one, Anne-Marie, like champions-elect. They did, they did. They will be conscious that, uh, you know, people are coming after them in terms of the table, but that won't phase Chelsea whatsoever. I'm going to nail my colours to the mast and I believe that Chelsea will win the title come the end of the season. You know, they've got squad depth, which we've talked about loads before, the quality of players. And then you look at their bench and you're like, my goodness, their bench is just one of the strongest within the WSL. So, yeah, absolutely. The champions elect Chelsea because, as I said, they will be conscious. There's another two teams behind them that are not too far away. So they want to push forward as much as they can. One highlight for Everton, great save from their standing goalkeeper, Corpella. She's uh, replaced the injured Sandy McKeever. Um, so great one for them. But, you know, in the end, I think Chelsea Chelsea took over on this one. And this probably illustrates, doesn't it, the, the work Everton have got to do. They're on top of the table uh, for that period earlier on in the season. But this is where you see Chelsea motor on through. A 10th win in 11 league matches. So Chelsea, two points clear of title rivals Manchester City, who beat Bristol. City by the same scoreline on the same night. Indeed, Man City were away at Bristol City. They also won 3-0 on Wednesday night. It was a 10th league win in a row for Gareth Taylor's side. Caroline Weir, Ellen White and Sam Mewis late on with the goals in this one. Uh, Man City and Chelsea, they really are going toe-to-toe in this title race. I know a lot of people, like you and Marie, have gone with Chelsea to win the title, but is it actually too close to call? I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is because I think just for me, Chelsea are just uh, using Kate's words are just motoring on ahead. And I don't think the games that they've got coming up, they're still within the FA Cup. Of course, they've still got Champions League. I don't think that's going to phase them in the slightest. And, you know, I can't even use the excuse like experience because these are very two experienced teams. But I just think Chelsea have the better attacking side. And, you know, for for them, they will want to get as many points as possible. I, I just don't think Man City have enough in their arsenal to catch Chelsea up. Well, let's look at the run-in, shall we? Um, Chelsea have got Villa and Birmingham next, but I think the sort of key fixture to focus on here is they play City away on the 25th of April. So for both these sides, City and Chelsea, could this be the title decider, Lindsay? Do you think, could this be the one all eyes on? It's going to be a decisive match, this one, I think. But with five fixtures left, there still could be a slip up here somewhere or a surprise result. Because when you look at 
the likes of West Ham um, who've got something to play for. I think that's the, the main thing here. You've got Birmingham as well. And I think that could be the key for City. They've got Birmingham and West Ham towards the end of the season. They're the two final matches where both of those could have a lot to play for. Um, could could one of those maybe grind out a draw or even surprise, get get a win? We've seen it. Uh, we've seen it happen. I, I do think that 25th of April will be massive in terms of of where the confidence is in the league going into the final couple of games? Well, there's also the question of whether Champions League might have an impact. I suppose it will depend how far both sides go. They're still in it. It's the quarterfinals next. Let's get cracking on that. Chelsea play last year's finalist Wolfsburg. It's the home leg for Chelsea, but both legs will be played in Budapest. That's because COVID-19 travel restrictions in Germany prevent Wolfsburg two times Champions League winners from travelling to the UK. Manchester City are away to Barcelona. It's an 11.30 kickoff. That means an early siesta if you can book one in. It's very Spanish <laughs> of them, isn't it? Both teams looking for maiden success. Barcelona were runners-up to Lyon in 2019. To mention the other ties, ooh la la, it's the all-French matchup of Paris Saint-Germain versus Lyon and Bayern Munich play Swedish side Rosengard. Let's look at the English interests first of all. Um, Marie, which tie are you most excited about? I am really looking forward to Chelsea taking on Wolfsburg. Chelsea are on course for five trophies. They're hungry, they're focused, they'll have a point to prove, particularly within the Champions League. It's the one trophy I think that is has every it means everything to them. And of course they you know they want to win all trophies, but they and they want to show their dominance, particularly in the domestic league. But to get that one for Europe, I think would take Chelsea to another level. So my eyes will be watching that match. Mine will be too, because it's just about history being made, isn't it? This is the one. Chelsea have been knocked out by Wolfsburg on three previous occasions in the Champions League. They are yet to beat Wolfsburg competitively. So if Emma Hayes wants to send out a statement for this season, this is the game to do it. I feel like the two key players in this one, Kirby, who's been one of the standout players of the season in WSL, already notched up 18 goals. I think she really brings a lot to to Chelsea. And for them, it's pop, isn't it? I mean, she scored two goals in the first leg of the the last round. And it could be be those two players and who's in most form that day. But I mean, obviously, we know there's talent across both of these teams, but you just look at form and and they're the two that sort of pop out, (laughs) to excuse the pun. (laughs) Chelsea's secret weapon this time round, Penilla Hard, as she was in that Wolfsburg side, runners-up last year. So an exchange in personnel there. Um, And I, you know, again, Again, really, really like the look of Chelsea in this one and their determination. I mean, it is one of Emma Hayes's key, key wants for this season. Um, and I think that will see them through as well as, of course, their superstar personnel. Manchester City then uh, away to Barcelona. Early kickoff this one. What do you make of this game, Anne-Marie? I think City are going to be under a lot of pressure for this game. I think this is a nightmare draw for them. Uh, it's Barcelona. What else do you need to say? A top quality team. They're the leaders of the Liga, of course. And I think for City as well, they've not reached a quarterfinal stage for several years. So, you know, it's. I think it's going to be a tough, tough, tough one. I, they're going to need every t- attacking player that they've got and they're going to need to be defensively tight as well because Barcelona will press from that first whistle going forward. As much as I'd like City to go forward, because of course I want English teams to win, I think it's a tough matchup for them. You know what, though? I, I feel like they might be winning the psychology game in this match. They, they've they never had a competitive fixture, these two teams between each other, but they did meet pre-season in a friendly and City won 2-0. 
in that in that match. They also come into it off the back of this fantastic run, 10 consecutive wins in WSL, scoring 32 goals. Crucially, I think they've only conceded two. I think Barcelona take on all of that information and think, ah, this is going to be quite tough. Now, yeah, they've won all 19 in their domestic league. They've won all 19 of their matches this season. But is that level on par with the WSL level? Is this one where, like we see often with with teams like PSG, who just run away with it in in their own countries, and then when it comes to European football, play other teams and sometimes get found out? Uh, That certainly happened in years gone by. And I I just wonder, I just wonder if we could get a bit of a surprise here and whether something might be playing in the back of their minds. Barcelona do have more experience of going further in this competition, but what's going to stand out for City? Players like Sam Mewis, you know, she's contributed four goals already for the English side in the Champions League. And actually, again, because of COVID, the first leg of this tie will be played in Monza in Italy on Wednesday. The second leg uh, will be back in Manchester a week later. That's another crucial point, actually, Kate, is this away goals rule that still exists because it's not really away, is it? We've got these neutral venues where where matches are taking place. But actually, if after two legs it comes down to the same score, the first thing that will be looked at is away goals rule. So you, that will come into force, which I find fascinating, um, if tied after the two legs. We know about you and your geekery of writing down predicted scores. End of the season runs, mm. Lindsay. Uh, don't forget the semi-finals have been drawn two for the Women's Champions League. Um, Chelsea, I think, with the easier one there. If they beat Wolfsburg, they play Bayern Munich or Rossengard. If City conquer Barcelona, they'll meet Paris Saint-Germain or Lyon. So, sorry, Leon got such a rich history in this competition. I'm going to give that one to Leon. So it gets tricky if City make it through this quarterfinal stage. It's so sticky for them at the semi-final stage. Talking of Rossengard, hot off the press, one of their young players, Hannah Benison, has won the 2021 Next Gen Award. She's been voted the best young female player in the world. She's got a great goal compilation, which you can look through. Um, journalists in 44 countries voted on that one. Uh, that should be something to look out for when watching the Champions League this week if she's on the pitch. By the way, quick plug uh, for the Champions League. There is a full preview uh, in infinite detail up on the Offside Rules website, offsiderulepodcast.com. Martin Whiteley's uh, taken us through all four ties if you're curious to know more detail on any of the teams involved. To the WSL next and a look at what's to come this weekend. On Saturday, Manchester United host West Ham. That one is at Old Trafford. Tottenham host Arsenal in North London Derby. That's at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That was the, the last time you and I, Kate, were caught at a match together, oh, I think. Man City times. host Reading as well in the 5.30 kickoff. On Sunday, leaders Chelsea are at home to Villa and Birmingham host Bristol City. It looks like that is at Damson Park, Birmingham's home ground. And Brighton host Everton Amory a fixture that jumps out for you I think I know what you're going to say but go on flatter us (laughs) (laughs) of course I'm going to be keeping an eye across uh, Tottenham Hotspur women against Arsenal women at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium the one thing I will say about the Spurs the thing they're going to have to do is be on point in terms of their concentration levels because when I was watching them play against Bristol City they did switch off for that goal when it came in from the corner and Arsenal will not give you that luxury at all so their levels of concentration have to be pretty high against the Gunners this weekend. That brings us to the end of the show and a big thank you to you Anne-Marie. Where can listeners see or hear you next? 
I'm actually going to be doing some tennis commentary this week because it's the Miami Open. So I'm really looking forward to covering some of the women's games. And then I will be back on TalkSport at the weekend doing the pay-per-view. So from big shape balls to small balls and back to big shape balls again. It's been lovely to catch up with you, Anne-Marie. Enjoy watching that North London derby at the weekend too. Yeah, big thank you to you, Anne-Marie. I'm still recovering from the big balls comment. I wonder if there will be bigger balls in the WSL (laughs) this weekend. Plenty of balls. Um, You can find us on social media at Pod if you want to get in touch that way we're on instagram as well uh, and as kate earlier on in the show mentioned we have got a website full of different content on there lots of it women so go to offsiderallpodcast.com and help yourselves thank you to those of you who listened this week we're back again next week Amory, thank you to you we'll speak to you soon thanks so much ladies good to talk to you you've been listening to the offside rule wsl edition part of the athletic podcast network keep up to date with everything offside rule at offsiderallpodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.